0: Hello again, everyone, uh, and welcome to Now We're Talking. This is a podcast about communication skills. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo, and uh, this is episode 44. So I've, t- I've taken a bit of a hiatus. I haven't made an episode in a few months now. Um, and in part, that was because I recently finished a book called What Effect Have I Had? And the book tries to capture in a hundred small lessons all of the things that we've been covering in the, in the podcast. But the book is uh, divided into five different sections. One section on inter- interpersonal communication, one section on small group communication, one section on writing, one section on public speaking, and one section on leadership. And each of those five sections has 20 specific uh, suggestions for how to improve your communication skills in any one of those settings. So I thought with episode 44, what I wanted to do was... Sort of revisit the very first episode and revisit the basic insight of that book and, and this podcast and talk through a couple of examples that have been in the news lately, or a couple of, um, a couple of events that have happened or newsworthy items that have been circulating and interpret those newsworthy items in relationship to the major insight of the book and, and this podcast. And you might notice that we gain a kind of fresh understanding of what's what's happening uh, if we apply that kind of basic insight. And then in the next few uh, episodes, I think we'll move into leadership. And I want to talk a bunch about uh, leadership communication practices and how to become a better leader. So uh, let's start by revisiting episode one briefly. So in the first episode of this podcast, and in the, in the very beginning of my new book called What Effect Have I Had?, There's a prologue, and the prologue is about what is communication. And in the first episode of the podcast, I said that communication was not about transmission. It was not a matter of transmitting information from my head to your head. And I said that we needed to stop thinking about communication as a problem of transmission. Instead, we should be thinking of it as a a practice of producing effects on others, on, on audiences. So I asked in that opening episode, that we stop asking the "Did you get it?" question, and the "Did you get a question?" is really about the transmission of information from my head to your head. When we ask "Did you get it?" about communication, we ask, "Does the other person did the other person receive the information that I tried to package up and send to them appropriately or exactly as I tried to send it?" If we stop asking "Did you get it?", we can start asking, "What effect have I had?" And the "What effect have I had?" question is not about the transmission of information from my head to your head but the kinds of consequences of my communication practices on a specific audience. So I want to start with a couple of more mundane uh, more mundane examples of this and then uh, hopefully get to some more complex ones as we go. And some of these are quite controversial, but keeping the insight, that insight in mind that communication is, is not about transmission, it's about effects, will help us understand what's going on in some of these examples so uh, it's right now it's October uh, 2018 and there's been a lot of news lately uh, one small item in the news that caught my attention was that Melania Trump Donald Trump's wife and the first lady of the United States was on a recent trip to Africa and in that tr- on that trip to Africa she was wearing this kind of um, get-up with khaki Pants, a white shirt, and a tie, and this white sort of sort of hat, um, and a lot of people in the news remarked. They said, "Oh, like that is a very colonial-looking outfit." It looked like the kind of outfits from nineteenth uh, century, maybe earlier, colonizers that European colonizers would wear to Africa, and of course. The history of colonization of africa is a history of violence and oppression and thievery and all sorts of thuggish behavior by europeans so milani wears this and if you see the outfit she looks like a ridiculous bond villain i mean it's a totally absurd outfit so it's comical in some ways and also horrifying in some others Uh, so she wears this outfit and then she has a press conference in egypt while wearing the outfit and directly in front of the pyramids And at the press conference, she says, oh, I wish people would stop talking about what I'm wearing and focus on what I'm doing instead. Now, um, the problem, of course, is if we understand communication to be a practice of producing effects on others, Melania Trump doesn't get to make that claim. She doesn't get to decide uh, or, well, okay, let me put it like this. That outfit produced effects on audiences, a whole range of different audiences. So Melania can't, on the one hand, say, please ignore the effects being produced by my outfit on audiences, and pay attention to these other things that I want you to be paying attention to. Uh, So she can't do that, because as we discussed in some of the kind of episodes about nonverbal communication, uh, the reason nonverbal communication is so powerful The reason things like clothes matter so much is the communicative circuit of stimulus and response or stimulus and effect is sort of tightened and closed down. So there's very little time. There's less time for reflection, Um, but she can't ignore the fact that the clothes produce effects. And frankly, anybody that's a model or interested in fashion can't be ignoring that fundamental fact of the ability of clothes to non-verbally produce effects on on audiences uh, she's complaining because she doesn't like the effect produced by the outfit. If she wanted people to not pay attention to her clothes and to pay attention to what she was doing instead, she wouldn't wear absurd or ridiculous-looking colonial outfits that obviously are going to produce effects on audiences. Now, is this because Melania is stupid, uh, or she just doesn't understand? I don't really know. Who knows? Um but it's the, the fundamental mistake she's making is in assuming that she's got a transmission problem. That is, she's assuming she has these really good deeds and really good intentions and really good ideas. And those things are, you know, on display if we just pay attention to them and her Africa trip. And they're being short-circuited by a biased media that's paying attention to her outfit instead. Um, she, that's a misunderstanding of... of Communication and she's a misunderstanding of the communication problem that's that's arising and that problem has to do with the effects of our communicative acts, not the transmission of information. So if she wanted people to pay less attention to her outfit, she should dress differently because she needs to be aware that uh, she's always already producing effects no matter what. Um, So that's kind of a a simple example. Um, But I see that example everywhere in my life in less famous and less certain circumstances, or less sort of, um, not certain, but less uh, less popular or less transparent or less obvious circumstances. And I'm sure if you're listening there too, you probably had a friend who said at some point, oh, please don't pay attention to this one thing I'm doing or saying, pay attention to this other thing uh, that I'd rather you paid attention to. Well, that's all well and good, but if that person were really honest or strategic or um, thoughtful about that, they would do the kind of communicative work necessary to get you to pay attention to the one thing and not the other thing. They don't realize it's their responsibility because they're always producing effects on audiences no matter what. Okay, so let's ratchet up the complexity uh, a little bit. Um, So, well, in the last few weeks in North America, we've witnessed uh, Brett Kavanaugh and uh, Brett Kavanaugh's appointment to the Supreme Court. Uh, In fact, I... I live in Canada, um, but I was stunned by how many people were watched the Kavanaugh hearings. Um, and of course, uh, even on Saturday Night Live, the, the opening of the first episode of this year's Saturday Night Live, Matt Damon did an imitation of Brett Kavanaugh at the hearing. And the hearing was notable because Kavanaugh was yelling and screaming and crying and acting like a petulant four-year-old throughout the whole hearing. And that raised questions about his judicial temperament. He was also blatantly lying under oath. Um, so there are all these problems. Um, I think for for me, there is a kind of deeper sort of core issue going on. And that has to do with, uh, sexual assault generally and, uh, what sexual assault looks like from a male and a female perspective. So I honestly don't really think that Brett Kavanaugh knew he, sexually assaulted someone and i don't think he thinks he's intentionally being abusive to women or had been abusive to women for years and years and years um and that's because brett kavanaugh thinks that intentions really matter and other people like brett kavanaugh thinks that intentions really matter so uh brett kavanaugh can sit there and say you know i didn't intend to hurt anyone and oftentimes uh, sexual assaulters will say this: the, "You know, well, I didn't mean to make this person feel uncomfortable or feel bad." Well, guess what? That doesn't matter. Who cares? It's irrelevant. So, if I see communication as not a matter of transmission, intention becomes wholly irrelevant to the communicative problem. So, if I intend to be a nice person to someone else, yet my my version of being nice is punching them in the face, it's the fact that the practice hit them in the face and caused damage. And it's the damage that determines the meaning of the event. So, uh, in the case of these kinds of um, uh, sexual assault allegations, uh, it doesn't surprise me often that the man doesn't remember or is not aware because I don't think he's, I, don't, I, I imagine Brett Kavanaugh wasn't even thinking very much about the other person involved in that interaction. Uh, so Dr. Blasey Ford, I don't imagine he thought very deeply or very sincerely or very uh, in a very interested way about the women he encountered for most of his teen years and university years. He was just out there acting. And I don't think he was necessarily also an intentionally bad dude or anything like that. He just was unaware of the effects of his actions on others. And I think that's widely true of lots and lots and lots of people. Uh, especially lots and lots of teenagers and very young adults who are so selfish and so self-centered that they don't think about the consequences of their actions or the effects that they're producing on, on others. Um, and so even in the defense of Brett Kavanaugh, whereby some women came out and said, well, you know, it wasn't that big a deal. Nothing really bad happened. It was just kids playing around. It was just horseplay. Those people are also denying the consequences or the effects of the actions on a particular person. So the focus, in order to justify Kavanaugh's um, approval or, or Kavanaugh's kind of position on the Supreme Court, the mechanism of interpretation had to kind of pivot away from the effects of Kavanaugh's actions on Dr. Blasey Ford. So the the and the app the Republican kind of machine deflected attention away from those effects. Uh, and I think that's kind of a, a unfortunate mistake and I think uh, it belies the extent to which um, people just don't pay attention to the effects that their their practices produce on on others um, and it, it's it's troubling uh, I think it's very troubling if we live in a culture in which in particular young boys teenage boys and uh, boys who are rich and uh, wealthy uh, are inoculated from thinking through the consequences of their actions on other human beings. So, I, I, And I'm trying to say in as serious a way as I can, imagine a world in which every 12-year-old was told, communication is about the, the effects you produce on others. It's not about the transmission of information. Uh, communication is the most other-centered thing we do because it's a, it's a practice of producing effects on others. And we're always going through the world producing effects on others. And we should pay attention to the effects that we produce on others, not just our own desires, our own interests, or our own selfish perspective on the world. Imagine that. And imagine if Brett Kavanaugh understood that at 15 or 16 and was always asking himself, well, what are the effects of my actions on on others? What are the consequences here of my actions on others? How is my are my communicative practices coming across to others or how are others receiving or reacting to those communicative practices? I mean, the guy just sounded like a jerk. And I think we all knew jerks in high school and those jerks were generally selfish people oblivious to the, the effects of their communicative practices on on others and so often it's a failure of communication because it's a failure to understand the communication problem for what it is as a problem of producing effects and not a problem of transmitting information um and then you have the fact that uh and this was ignored by the members of congress seemingly but you have the fact that brett kavanaugh's performance at the uh at the hearing produced effects on audiences and even then you had people try and change the conversation to what was true or false in and of itself. So he was a a crazy, I mean, he just appeared um, unhinged at the, at the, the, the hearing and that unhingedness produced effects on audiences. And it's sort of irrelevant uh, if his calendars from his high school years were true or false or accurate or inaccurate, What matters are the consequences of his behavior, the effects of his behavior on audiences. I certainly would never trust anyone to adjudicate a case fairly that acted like that in public. Um, And it also brought to the fore uh, the, the deep misogyny of the culture within which we live and the deep kind of contradictions between how and why people with different genders can perform differently in public. So, Uh, I mean, I'm a professor, so I follow lots of other professors on Twitter. And and the response, there were some funny responses, uh, including uh, by women who said, well, if I was up for a job, a a big position as a full professor at a prestigious university, and I went to the job interview, and I cried, and I screamed, and I yelled at the committee, and I I would never have gotten, like, when I've gotten the job, Uh, obviously not. Like, no woman could, uh, the consequences of a woman acting like that, or the effects of a woman acting like that, uh, to a hiring committee, are you know not the same as the effects of a man doing it. So the effects of a of a man doing it uh, seem to bring out these responses, especially from Republican or right leaning folks, uh, that kind of certified his both the fact that he was in touch with his emotions and he was manly, and these were good things. Uh, he was fighting for himself, etc. So the one's positionality or one's situation. Can condition the effects one's communicative practices have on others. And the critically important thing that we learn, I think, from the Kavanaugh hearings is that uh, wealthy white heteronormative men can kind of (laughs) can produce positive effects no matter what ridiculous communication practices they engage in. And one of the massive kind of inequalities that we face as a human society. It are related to the ways in which our positionality or our situatedness as agents, uh, can determine the effects that we produce on others with our communication practices. So there are so many people for whom that kind of performance could not possibly be tolerated and would have led to his dismissal or, you know, he, you just couldn't do that in public if you were some, a, a lot of people and he could do it in public and still produce positive effects for large audiences, um, And, you know, it didn't mean it was overwhelmingly persuasive, of course, pretty much more than half the country thinks that he shouldn't be appointed to the Supreme Court, but it was persuasive with enough, uh, uh, enough of a sliver of the country that he did become the next justice of the Supreme Court. Um, But for me, when I watch those events, I'm thinking about the effect being produced, I'm thinking about how that person is understanding the effects that they produce in the world. um, And those things color my understanding of the communicative problem uh, and i don't i don't ever think i don't think intentions mean very much at all so people are, can be horrible people if they have good intentions because of the outcomes or the effects that the practices they engage in produce on on others um, so another kind of component of effects that i want to talk about is mimicry and repetition so uh, we've had president trump now for almost two years He repeats himself over and over again, and one of his greatest powers is uh, how omnipresent he is. He's always on TV, everywhere on TV, and repeating the same things over and over again. But the repetition is not just the content, it's repetition is also in the form of the communicative practice. And one of the great effects of communication from a leadership position, so I'll talk more about this when we get into the episodes on leadership, but... Leadership communication is contagious and it's really quickly contagious. So when a person that it occupies a situation or a kind of position of leadership, when they communicate, one of the central effects is that their style, the, the, the shape or the form and the content of their communicative practices are contagious and they get repeated by others. And one of the genius uh, components of President Trump's communication style is he just repeats himself over and over again to kind of facilitate the contagion, essentially. So I was at the Canadian Thanksgiving was last weekend. I was at a Thanksgiving dinner. And of course, there are people there that thought Kavanaugh should be, you know, appointed to the Supreme Court. They thought he was innocent, that thought, uh, you know, it was unfair for us to accuse him of something without any evidence. What was astonishing to me was the repetition of the same arguments made by those in leadership positions on the right. It was mimicry. Uh, And so one of the major effects of communication is always imitation or mimicry. So people are always learning um, from others. So people always take from others the same shape and content of communicative practices and repeat those and try them out in the world. Uh, That's how babies learn to talk. It's uh, how we learn new languages uh, and it doesn't go away. And so when per- when someone is promoted to a kind of leadership position, the mimicry and repetition become more contagious and people start more flagrantly um, repeating and mimicking the communication style of the person in the leadership position. Um, so, you know, we'll have a chance to talk some about that in, in a later episode on, you know, on this podcast. Uh, The last kind of example I want to talk about is that so one thing that one one aspect of Trump's style that keeps getting mimicked and it's happening right now with the Democrats and the Republicans. Trump is an angry man and he's constantly insulting other people. And uh, originally, like Michelle Obama famously said, when they go low, we go high. And then just last night or a couple nights ago, Eric Holder, former um, attorney general to the United States under Barack Obama, said, "No, no, no, we can't do that. You know, when they go low, we have to hit them low. Uh, so this doesn't surprise me uh, so much, although I don't think it's effective because what you're seeing is mimicry even from even from the Democrats. So the Democrats acknowledging and by imitating Trump's rhetorical style, they are kind of admitting that he's in control of framing the situation. And that's one consequence of that style is that it will get itself Imitated or mimicked, and that's happening with the Democratic Party right now. Um, But it reminds me that there's little virtue. So uh, what I would say is that a lot of people out there want to make a more just world. They're tired of of Republican politics or right leaning politics. They want more justice in the world, and they're angry at people like uh, Donald Trump and Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, who seem so reckless and feckless and just like awful human beings. Um, and Eric Holder's sentiment that when they go low, we have to hit them low. Uh, I think rings true for a lot of people that are feeling disenfranchised or upset or um, dislocated by the current regime of right-leaning uh, people that are running the the country in the U S uh, but I would have to ask those people, well, what effect does that have? So if you want, for example, Trump is obviously a racist. That's clearly true. The question becomes, what good is it to, for example, point to Trump's racism? Or if you're having Thanksgiving dinner with a racist, what good is it to tell that person they're being racist? Uh, What are the effects of that action? And I think communicative practices like Trump's that call out opposing sides and name them in certain ways or try to characterize them in certain ways. So Trump recently called the liberals unhinged and dangerous. Uh, Okay, what are the effects of that move? I think the effects of that move is it's supposed to, it highlights division and it strengthens the bonds between some people and makes uh, enemies out of others. So for me, one of the effects of that kind of rhetorical style is it makes uh, collaboration or kind of mutual understanding or uh, coordination or alignment uh, more and more difficult. And to me, the trouble is that it can make, if someone wants to make the world more just, those calling racists racists actually aid in the project of making the world more just. I don't think so. I don't see how it could. It creates more divisions. It creates antagonisms. It creates tensions. And the person who you call a racist is likely to be further entrenched into their own views if you call them a racist. If you instead spend your communicative energy elsewhere, uh, I think you open up possibilities for social change and transformation that might not otherwise exist. Um, My hope is that that is also Trump's undoing. That his rhetorical style also becomes the thing that undoes him ultimately. Uh, that's yet to, yet to be seen. But I think we need to constantly be asking, what effect have I had? Especially when we, either on the right or the left, regardless of what side we're on, when we're calling other people names or identifying their shortcomings or their weaknesses, uh, what are the consequences of that particular action? Not, is it true or false? So a lot of people will want to ask, uh, is it true that Trump is racist? To me, yeah, of course. But what's the value in stating something that's true? Uh, I'm less interested in truth and more interested in results or effects or consequences. And I think we all should be. And I think those that are effective at communication are more interested in asking those questions as well. Uh, so that's one of the things that we have to to get right. All right. So that kind of brings us to the end of this episode. I just wanted to review the, the, the quest, the central question driving this podcast and my new book, what effect have I had? Um, and to see what happens when we start placing the what effect have I had question before the did you get it question, how it can transform our understanding of, of certain cultural moments or uh, certain things that happen in our world. So where we'll go from here is I'll make a few episodes devoted more to leadership communication um, and we'll continue working through a series of practices to help improve our communication skills. So thanks everyone for listening and I'll be back next week with another new episode.